Matthew 6, uh, verse 19. Let's pray. Father, deal bountiful with your servants that we may live to keep your word. Open our eyes, Father, that we might behold wondrous things from your law. By your spirit, for the sake of your son, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it's been a while, feels like, since we've been here. Um, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as, as we start this morning, I just kind of want to remind us where we've been as we've been looking at Jesus' teaching in chapters 5, 6, and 7, which as we've referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. But we started talking a few weeks ago about uh, a theme in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not just a theme, in, a, a, a theme in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a theme in Matthew that began in the very first chapter of Matthew. And I guess as we want to consider, it is a theme that runs through Scripture. We just don't see it named this until we get to Matthew. And that's the theme of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. So Matthew always calls it the kingdom of heaven. But we might see it differently in the other gospels or in the epistles called the kingdom of God. And so I might go back and forth. Uh, but as you see the, the theme of the kingdom of heaven in Scripture and in the Sermon on the Mount, there is also the theme of that outside of the kingdom of heaven. You can't really talk about the kingdom of heaven without excluding that which is also outside of the kingdom of heaven. So we know that Jesus says in, the, in, in John's gospel, as Jesus stands before Pilate, what does Jesus tell? How does he describe his kingdom to Pilate? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Uh, Paul describes to the Romans that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, which is what we do in this world, and are very concerned about these things, as we'll see over the next few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. But the kingdom of heaven is a matter of these three things. Righteousness, Joy and peace. Now those are really good things. Kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. It belongs to God. And while this world is tormented by the prince of the darkness, Satan, also known as the father of lies, also known by Jesus as a murderer, the kingdom of heaven is being built by God through Jesus Christ and will be established on this earth that is, to some degree, being ruled by the prince of the power of the air. Jesus has come to this dark, cursed world to bring the gospel of this kingdom of heaven, a message that he gives for entrance into the kingdom and the message to enter the kingdom is to repent and believe the gospel. Because he says the kingdom is here. It is at hand. The Sermon on the Mount 
is also helping us to understand more about this kingdom, about its king and its citizens. We've got to verse 19, and verse 19 through 24, and we said when we started this section that this is a section that is sort of like a gauge. So the gauge is telling us, do you belong to the kingdom of heaven? Or do you belong to this world? And the three things that help gauge us in verses 19 through 24, the first one was, what do you treasure or value? Do you value and treasure the things of this world or the things of the kingdom of heaven? We made the distinction that the greatest treasure of the kingdom of heaven is Christ himself. And therefore, in our chapter of Colossians 3 this morning in Sunday school, where are we seeking treasure? Where Christ is. If Christ is the most valuable, the most precious, we seek the things that, that He sees as precious and valuable, the things where He is, things that are above. So that was the first one. The second one in verse 22 and 23 was, what is your vision Do you have kingdom of heaven vision or do you have earthly vision? And we establish that each and every one of us are born with bad earthly vision. That you see the things of this earth and you are blind to the kingdom of God. But as we talked about again this morning in Sunday school class, That through Christ and the Spirit of God, God gives sight to the blind. He gives you eyes to see the kingdom of heaven. Through the new birth, to see the truth of this kingdom and the riches and inheritance of this kingdom. And then we've gotten to verse 24, and this concludes this section. And the third gauge is, And I don't know if I'm saying this right. Someone help me. Whom do you serve? Who or whom? What do y'all think? That's what I thought. Whom do you serve? So I'm going to stick with that because I'm going to say it quite a few times throughout the day. (laughs) Whom do you serve is the third gauge. So let's read. Let's go ahead and read 19 through 24. And we'll talk about this a little bit. Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy... The whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So as we begin... There's a couple things that we have to understand before we really can understand what Jesus is saying. There's these two things I want us to make sure we get is number one, the language that Jesus is using. The language that Jesus is using. And then this unspoken reality that sits behind Jesus' teaching here. And I don't mean unspoken as if if it's never been spoken. I just mean Jesus doesn't refer to it directly here. This indirect truth that stands behind what Jesus is teaching. So number one, the language. Let's just look at the beginning of verse 24. And there's two words that should stand out to us and catch our eye. No one can serve two masters. Serve and master. So the language that Jesus is using in verse 24 is the language of slavery. Slavery. And that's not 
a fun topic. It's not an easy topic. No one wants to to think about slavery nor be a slave. But this language is very important. So the first one, serve. The word serve that we see in our English translations is actually, we read in Romans 6, can also be translated to be a slave to. So this word, we could use it as serve, which when kind of in our church context today, we ask people, would you like to serve? Would you like to help? That's not really the kind of language he's using. To serve God, to serve a master, is to be a slave to that master, right? You are owned. You are, there's ownership over you. You have been bought or you are paying off a debt. You are owned by that person that you are either indebted to or they have purchased you. Now, as a slave, to be a slave to means you are bound to obey. You are bound to render service to. Chop, chop. And, it, and that's why we have to be careful when we use the word serve in this church context. Like, I am begging you to please serve. That's not the type of language we have here. Nor is it the language of the apostles. But to serve is to be obedient to. And it's complete. No, serve, no servant, no slave calls in sick or says, I don't think I can do that today. Because they are indebted to or owned, they must do what they are told. So we can't come to this with like, oh, service, that's nice. You have to do stuff for someone. No, you have to do what you are told because you are not your own. But you belong to this person. Which Who is this person? It's the master, right? No one can serve two masters. So we've got serve or to be a slave to, master. And this word master, we could do a whole sermon on it by itself. Because this Greek word for master is used many different ways as sir or lord, like as in like a sir. Or as in an owner of a slave or a master of a slave. But this Greek word is also used as Lord Jesus, Master Jesus. And that's got a whole connection to the Old Testament. And there's a lot there, and maybe one day we'll, we'll cover a lot of that. But what I want us to understand is that the background of this word means one with authority, the controller, the controller. The master of the servant, the slave, controls the life of the slave, sets the rules, gives the orders. They have authority. This is the, this is the context. This is the language that Jesus is using. This is a, a theme throughout all of Scripture. Slavery is a theme throughout all Scripture. Now, I, this, the, not, that does not mean that the, that the Scriptures... Um, I've lost my word. This does not mean that the Scriptures do not condone slavery. But from the beginning of time, slavery, a sin, has existed because of a sinful people. And the Bible has been able to record the sinfulness of people through slavery. And it began 
we're probably most familiar in the Old Testament with the story of Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery. And what ultimately did that lead to? Not just Joseph being in slavery, but over time, all of Israel being in slavery. And it goes all throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, the theme of slavery. Uh, but why, why is slavery an important theme in the Bible, considering it is so wicked? Which this leads to the second thing we've got to understand, this unspoken reality that Jesus does not touch on in this spot, but is taught throughout Scripture. And that reality, if you look at the beginning of 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. But what Jesus knows and he is going to imply and what is taught all throughout Scripture is not that you cannot serve two masters, but that you are always serving one master. You are always, as a human being, serving one master. So let me just break that down for a second. You are made by God for God in this, in this master-servant relationship. You were made by the master for the master to serve him, God, right? That's how you were that's why you were created. So again this goes against culture number 1 that it doesn't matter what I do with my life. It doesn't matter how I live my life. Because they don't have an understanding that their life was given to them for the purpose for them to serve and glorify their God, creator, their master. So by divine right, by divine right, we all belong, whether you want to admit it or not, you belong to God. You belong to the master. So if you built a house... Think of it this way. If you built a house and you come home and people are living in it and redecorating it and putting it how they want and putting their feet on the furniture, what do you walk in and you say? You say, get out of my house. I own it. You have no right over it. Go. God has ownership of his creation. He is the controller the supreme authority. So that's the first part. The second part, but sin came. But sin came, came into this world and turned God-made servants against God. God turned his servants against him. I'm sorry, sin turned God's servants against him. Deceived by Satan, making them believe that God, their master, was leading them in the wrong way. Satan gave false guidance by telling Adam and Eve, and then therefore all of their children, be your own master. Be your own master. And then what happens? You follow the lie and you become slaves to something else. Now here's how I want you to imagine it. Imagine you live as a servant in the house of God. And I don't mean like we call this the house of God. I mean like imagine a house and you and it's God's house and you are his servant. And you are serving him daily. And he has a guest. And you are to serve the guest. And the guest is Lucifer. And in the quiet of the night, of his first night there, he convinces you that your master is no good. And he convinces you that freedom is right outside the door. 
You just have to you just have to leave. Because he is treating you wrong, he's leading you wrong, and he is keeping you in bondage. Just leave and be your own master. You walk up to God, your master, convinced he is doing you wrong, and you spit in his face, and you march out the front door, slam it, and you're free. But then you start walking down the road, exploring your freedom, unaware that Satan is behind you and you are chained to him. Not realizing that you are not free. And then he begins to whisper to you, look at all the freedom you have. Look at that house. You can go into that house. That house of money. You go into that house, that house, look at all the beautiful things in that house. Look at all the cars outside of that house. You're blind and being guided by Satan and your sin. And he wants to you and he wants you to not. He wants you to pick a new house. To be a slave of Him. You're created to serve God, and if you do not serve Him, you will serve something else. If you do not serve God, you will serve something else. You will chain yourself to another master, you will self inflict slavery. Here's the reality this is. Everyone, everyone is born not wanting to serve God. You have been deceived to think that you can be your own master and that you don't have to serve anyone, all the while not knowing that you are a slave to sin. A slave to sin. So with that unspoken reality here in this verse, Jesus says in verse 24, keep in mind that you will always be a servant to a master. He says no one can serve two masters. Uh, you kids... Probably know the game, uh, Would You Rather? Maybe you adults better know Truth or Dare, right? You play Truth or Dare, and you say to your friend, okay, Truth or Dare, what can they not say? Neither. Or if you ask your sister or your brother, Would You Rather? And you give them two options. What can they not say? Neither. They have to pick one. That's the premise of those two games. You're not playing if you don't pick one or the other. With the reality of what we just know and the fact that Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, the reality is, is that you have to pick one. It's one or the other. So the question is, whom will you serve? If you can't serve two, but the truth is, is that you will serve one, whom do you serve? You can't say no thanks or pass. You can't Pick neither to say I'm not a slave to anything is to tell me that you are blind to your slavery. Turn to John 8. John chapter 8. 
Um, tonight, we're not going to be in our books. For the next few weeks, we probably we're going to take a break from um, Marks of a Healthy Church. And tonight, we're going to probably look a little bit closer at Romans 6 and John 8. Um, there's a lot in John 8 that is so rich. But what I, I want us to just see a few verses in John 8, beginning in verse 31. Um, and I hope you pick up on something that I might not get to, to, to this morning until tonight. Uh, but pay attention and listen for these, the same sort of language of slavery as we read four verses or so. John 8, 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. What is that you say you will become free? Jesus, why do you say we can come, become free? Because we have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, we're not going to get into the physical slavery that they have been in as Israelites, nor the bondage that they're in under Rome, but Jesus wants, to real, uh, wants to, them to understand the reality of the slavery that they are in. 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So whom will you serve? You can't say no one. Because if you say no one, you're a liar. Because you serve sin. It is who you are. Outside of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit, if you are not a Christian born twice, you are a slave to sin. Now, this passage says you cannot serve God and money. Or, um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. You cannot serve God and Mammon, or money slash possessions. Now, where do possessions lie? Where are they? Where do they exist? In this world. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Possessions. To be a servant of possessions, of things on the earth, is to be a servant to this world of Satan, of sin. So, I ask you again, whom will you serve? Now here's the tricky part. Everyone knows the correct answer here. You all know how to answer this question. And you could all probably sign something, a commitment to say, I will choose to serve God. I could probably convince you all to say that. But before you make that statement, let me make sure that you understand what Jesus is saying here. There is no middle ground. There is no riding the fence. You are either a slave to one or a slave to other. This is the point of what Jesus wants you to understand. You cannot say I serve God and walk out of this room into this world and bow to the things of this earth 
to be consumed by what this world has to offer. They don't go hand in hand. Think about, think about it from the terms of parenting. If you have two parents with different mindsets, wanting to take their children in different directions, what's going to happen? The child is going to be, number one, confused. But what are they going to do? They're going to pick. They're going to pick their favorite. They're going to pick the one that best fits what they want. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. So if you know that the the true answer is I will serve God, but you flirt with the world, you look to the riches of this earth, you will despise one and hate the other. It's never occurred to me. This is the definition of what happened to Judas. This is exactly what happened to Judas. If you're familiar with the extra bit of information we have of Judas in John 12, John tells us that Judas, he was the one who held the money bag for the disciples. And you know what he did? When no one was looking, he liked to put his hand in it and take out money for himself. As he was following Jesus. It's almost as if Jesus was prophesying what Judas would do. You cannot serve God and money. And Judas was trying to do both as he followed Jesus, but with his hand in the money bag. And so what was the result? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, starting in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? What will you give me? What treasures of this earth will you give me if I betray the Son of God? How much money can I have if I spit in the face of my master? Judas did not bow down to Jesus. Judas was enslaved to money, to things, to possessions, to this world, to sin, to Satan. Jesus was not his Lord. Things were. He was willing to betray the true master because he was actually enslaved to idols. Those two masters oppose one another, like opposing parents leading a child in different directions. God And the things of this world want to take you in opposite directions. And so if you stand in the middle of them 
wanting to hold hands with both, you will hate and despise God. Because that's the only option. Because if you are not willing to let go of of stuff, of money, of possessions, then you are not willing to hold the hand of your true master. Turn to 1 John. All the way at the end. Before Revelation, you see 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude. We want to be in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Here's the opposing masters in the opposite directions. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. They oppose one another. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, you will always love and be devoted to anything but God. Let me say that again. Apart from being raised with Christ... You will always devote yourself and love anything but God. You might think that that Judas illustration doesn't really touch us because we have not betrayed Jesus. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. Are you willing? Let me ask you this. I want everybody to think about this. I want you to think hard about this. Some of you may know this answer really easy. Are you willing to lose everything for the sake of Jesus Christ? Every possession. Some of you are like, no way. Easy. You might not be saying that out loud, but you know in your mind that if it's Jesus or everything else, see it, Jesus. What would be more devastating? To lose everything or to be cut off from Christ? What would be more devastating? To lose everything or to be cut off from Christ. Think about that this week. Because I want you to understand, Jesus teaches that He is worth everything. He teaches that we ought to be willing to give up everything for Him. He teaches that to bow to Him as Master means you have everything. Now, I just want to finish by reading a bunch of Scripture. So get your Bible out. And I want you to see the extreme, extreme call to follow Christ. The cost as we mentioned in Sunday school. That we're not talking about, I'm asking you to serve while you can, when you can, the church or Jesus. I'm saying the extreme call to be a slave to Christ. 
what it cost, what you're willing to give for the sake of Jesus. And then I want us to finish with the reason why you're willing to give everything and all for the sake of Jesus. Let's start in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. And we're just going to go in chronological, or in not chronological order, but in order of what we've got in the books of the Bible here. Matthew, we've got a few in Matthew. Matthew 8, verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A scribe came up and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, the bird of the airs have air have nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. That seems harsh. Chapter 13, read this many times, verse 44, Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Why? Because of the treasure that was in it. And again, the kingdom of heaven in verse 45 is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Chapter 16, verse 24. We read this this morning in Sunday school. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Of what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now, all the way to John chapter 6. Verse 66. John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back again, no longer walked with him. They left him. They chose another master. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? What other master? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have not come to know and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Turn to Acts 14. Acts 14. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They stoned him. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on to Barnabas and to Derbe. The, uh, uh, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city... And had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Because it's worth it. Chapter 16, verse 19. Chapter 16, verse 19 in Acts. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and practice. They were preaching the gospel. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here's the best verse, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. It's worth it. Romans 12, verse 1. One more, and then I have two to show us the true value. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you. Now this is Paul talking to Rome. This is me talking to you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your service to God. Your bodies as a living sacrifice. Think on that. I'm not asking you to serve a little in church or to be kind every now and then. I'm asking you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Why? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping that one. Turn to Titus. I had more. We're just going to finish with Titus. Why, why would serving the Master, Lord Jesus, be so worth it? Why would forgetting all that we have or own or desire for the sake of Jesus, putting ourselves in danger, not worried of persecution, not worried about losing our lives, why would it be so worth it? Titus, did I say Titus? Mm -hmm. Titus chapter 3, verse Three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Some of you still are. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His 
own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Being raised with Christ. Whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that by being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you know what heirs receive? Inheritance. Riches. Beyond anything more valuable than anything you can get in this life. Heirs of the kingdom of heaven. With our brother, our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Therefore, be bold this week. Serve your master in confidence and boldness, not afraid of what it might bring. And for you that are still stuck in your foolish, disobedient ways, slaves to passions and pleasures, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven, it's not that it's coming. It's here. He has brought it. And for those who are outside of his kingdom, will feel the wrath and fury of his judgment. Because you have spit in his face and called him a worthless master. And he will put each and every one of you in his place. And then you will bow the knee too late and say, you are master. But he will cast you into the lake of fire. He has shown mercy and love and has given you an entrance into the joy and peace and righteousness of his kingdom through believing in his son. You must do this. You must. You must submit to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and find the love of Christ that keeps you from now until eternity, which has no end. Believe on Him. Turn to Him. Trust Him. Be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and join the family of God. And those of us who are in the family of God, again, I say, think about the value of Christ and whether or not you are willing to lose it all for the sake of Him. Let's pray.